You're listening to Soul Radio. Welcome to the first episode of Homeroom, a podcast series presented by Soul. I'm your host, Benjamin Aydin. In this series, I'll be speaking with some of the people I've met on my journey as a founder and creative director of Le Benjamin. These people are friends, but also have served as mentors and guides, sharing advice and experience. In these conversations, I ask them questions on what drives them, what inspires them, but also advice on what it takes to make it in their respective industries. In today's episode, I'm speaking with fashion designer, entrepreneur, and DJ Heron Preston. His clothing label has cultivated a community, and his runway shows are some of the most highly anticipated of the season. Listen to us talk about growing up in San Francisco, working with Nike, Kanye West, Virgil, and how Heron has started his namesake label. I guess we met in Paris, uh, if I recall, but we got close in Istanbul. Thank you for joining us, Heron. <laughs> Thank you for having me. That sounded like a love letter. Like we we uh, we met in Paris, got close in Istanbul. <laughs> but no, I'm happy to be here, and uh, it's good to see you and talk to you again. Like for us, like this whole home t- room is like a platform to like talk and share ideas, with creatives, and also just a platform for the youth to be able to like hear something. Yeah. Uh, for this region, you know, because yeah. usually. It's really difficult here in the Middle East to get um, like creatives to engage with this region, I would right. presume. So I think right. it's uh, very important what we're doing. And, you know, cool. I, what I would love to start with, actually, we never had the time because we we're always in, in Paris Fashion Week and then, and then in Istanbul opening stores and all of that. Uh, you know, it's also a time uh, where we can dig deep into like getting to know you. And I'm yeah. really curious so I would love to start with like, tell us a bit growing up in San Francisco. I remember when I, when I visited San Fran, you DM'd me immediately. Oh, yeah. like, oh my, you're my city. So I want to know, man. I want to know. San Francisco seems uh, important to you. Yeah, no, San Francisco is important to me. That was, I was born, I was born and raised there. Um, and over time, it's, I, I've just grown to just love it so much more than when I was living there. I was so young living there and I just didn't really, really appreciate or, uh, I guess, uh, embrace like, you know, how special the city really was. So when I moved back to New York, when I moved to New York and started coming home every, you know, every holidays for, to visit my family, like over time I was like, ah, I wasn't ever, you know, it wasn't really so much in the city. I just couldn't wait to get back to New York. But now when I go back to San Francisco, I love it. It's just so beautiful. The architecture, the Victorian homes, the like proximity to the ocean, the nature, all the parks that are around us, the, you know, the, the Yosemite and like, you know, you have that, you know, I grew up going there and, um, uh, you know, Southern California and Northern California are just so different and so special in their own ways. Um, and then the music coming out of San Francisco Bay area, you know, that has influenced a lot of history of the music, music culture coming out of there. And you even look at like, you know, um, the hippie movement, you go back in time, you know what I mean? Grateful Dead, all the rock and roll that came out of San Francisco and then into like, you know, the, the, the Bay area, you know, Tupac, you know, Tupac had, you know, his stamp on the Bay area. And I mean, so like, it's a special place for culture. And then you talk about technology. I mean, I'm, 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 I bet Squadcast is from. It's based in like they're so, all sitting out there. They're all they're all sitting they're out there. Us. So yeah, so it's like also this hub of innovation. 
and hub of just like some of the smartest people in the world. And then food, like the cuisine, like some of the best Michelin restaurants are, you know, you have Napa, California, which is right there, all the best wine. So it's a really special kind of place. And, and I just love it so much. And I grew up skateboarding as well in San Francisco. And so like skateboarding, San Francisco is a Mecca. Like if you grew up skateboarding, like, you know, that there was the, there was kind of like before people really started really traveling for spots, San Francisco was always that Mecca. And then it was LA. Then you had like London and Paris and then like Barcelona. And like, those were like, you know, the only really cities that people were hitting, but San Francisco was like, that was like hands down because you get all the hills, right? You get a ton of hills. It's really hilly. And then you just get all these really beautiful spots to skate. Um, so I feel like, like yeah. I, when in San Fran, when I was like going around, uh, the city never finished. You keep like, there's layers on layers. <laughs> yeah. It's layers and layers. And it's just, it's just so diverse. Like, you know, it's just, it's, yeah, it's layers and layers of, of culture, of, of architecture, you know, the topography. It's just like, it's really steep hill. I had to learn how to drive an automatic car on those hills. Can you drive automatic? No. Or I'm sorry, manual, manual, manual. I'm sorry, <laughs> manual, manual. No, no, manual. No, no, no. So like you, if like when you switch gears, you start to roll down backwards. Like yeah. so, you have to be really quick with switching gears. And those 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 hills are so steep. I was like hitting cars behind me all the time. It was just like hectic. <laughs> like that was the best place to learn how to drive an, a like, manual. There's some hills. Yeah. It's like steep down. It's like crazy and it's beautiful for photography and yeah. all sorts of like, but the only place I remember, which I fell in love was Golden Boy Pizza. And I don't know if you know it. I don't think I know it. Golden Boy yeah, it's, Pizza? It's a, it's a dirty pizza. It's like very thick. <laughs> <laughs> it's like Sicilian I mean, I like dirty style. food. I like dirty food. <laughs> but um, uh, yeah, I don't I discovered this. It's Sicilian pizza in San Francisco. You should Ooh. definitely like. I mean, yeah, see, like, I told you, bro. Like, like a the food is next level over there. Oh man, so good. So, what what was your first project you worked on when you were um, when you when you like wanted to go into the career of design and yeah. like what what made you actually um, interested in fashion? Did you always knew that you were interested in fashion back then in San Fran? Not really. I think I always just knew that I was interested in just like style and like culture skateboarding obviously was like the sport that really raised me culturally i think culturally wise culturally speaking but i obviously like i played like baseball and the traditional sports like basketball and i think a lot of like the sports culture in my life kind of you know that introduced me to the sneaker culture right like jordan era yeah. like jordan introduced me to the jordans and collecting sneakers and that just came from my love of basketball and playing basketball myself and then like skateboarding that that skateboarding is all about just being like a fresh a fresh kid you know what i mean like style style is just such an integral part of the culture of skateboarding how you dress how you skate your skate style your your switch stance your stance your foot stance you know what i mean if you push if you push Mongo or not, you know, like everything is, there's, everything is considered when you, when you're skateboarding. And it's just a, so I just kind of was absorbing culture that had so much like style and vibes. And so I think the first kind of creative project that I embarked on was uh, like screen printing, screen printing a t-shirt, screen printing t-shirts. Um, but before that, I was always like a creative kid. I always had art classes in school and 
I was always going to the Boys and Girls Club to like make ceramics on the second floor and just kind of always making stuff with my hands. So when I got to high school, I started screen printing t-shirts by hand with one of my best friends who I actually met at a record store called, I didn't meet him at a record store. He went to the same concert as me at Amoeba Records, which is this legendary record store in Hollywood, San Francisco, and I think Berkeley, California. And we had both gone to the same concert, but we didn't know each other. And we had to say, we bought the same merch, like the same t-shirt. And then I, I start going to this new high school and I see the shirt. He was the only kid at high school that had that shirt. So I knew he was, I knew what he was about. I was like, holy shit. Like he's a cool kid. Like he goes and let me connect with him. Let me connect with him because at that time, my parents had moved me out of San Francisco to like another town. So I was like, whoever that kid is, like he goes to San Francisco. He went to Amoeba Records. He was at the same concert as me. So we connected, we connected through music and he just so happened to obviously like be a cool kid. Um, and we started screen printing t-shirts together. And just listening to you, Heron, like you're saying like the punk movement, rock and roll, skate culture, basketball, actually it all explains your interests and I feel like that's that's why San Fran is such a big influence in your work. It it makes total sense, to be honest. And um, uh, what what actually made you uh, move to the East Coast for school? I would say it, it it first first it was the movies, and again my fascination with just like cool people, culture, lifestyles. Um, music, if I didn't say that already, hip hop, yo, MTV raps, you know, Talib Kweli and most deaf, you know, just like Brooklyn, you know, Brooklyn was such this like city and songs. I was like, I want to live in Brooklyn. You know what I mean? And, and then I know I'm living in Brooklyn now and I'm here now, but I came, I came for like the culture, the movies and, um, and education for school. I went to Parsons. So, you know, before Parsons, I was just traveling out here with my friends, Nick. We came for a trip. Uh, my dad brought me out because I have a cousin that lives out here. And it was funny. I remember like going up to Harlem to eat at like Sylvia's Soul Food. And it was my first time out there. And I was like, I wonder if like New Yorkers really sound like the movies. I want to go in <laughs> here. I want to go in here in New Yorker, like that New York accent. And I, I just went outside of the restaurant and it just kind of like stood there on the street just to kind of hear like the environment around me. I just really wanted to absorb like voices and like the culture as close to the movies that I could get. And it was just like my first experience in the city. So I came here for school, went to Parsons and, and that's kind of why I, why I came to New York. I was really just, I felt like New York was my city. We usually here in Turkey, we always uh, dream about New York and like us about all the basketball culture, but actually you in San Francisco, you also dream about New York. This is oh, yeah. an interesting angle, you know? Yeah. Like, like even a kid, even a kid from America was dreaming about New York. You like, yeah, I didn't even, I didn't have to be from anywhere else. Like I was yeah. there already, but like, I, yeah, I think New York in the movies was just such this like super cool place that I wasn't getting any of that in San Francisco from just like the youth to just like the rawness, the edge. Um, just I feel like London and New York, have something like these two cities are like metropoles of culture where they all intersect and like uh, icons like Mostef. I mean, I'm a big fan of him and I actually met him in Dubai during Seoul. Oh, actually. you did? I, yeah. yeah. Oh, he just so randomly cool. walked up to my booth and he's like, are you Benjamin? I'm like, yeah. What? He's like, uh, I came to Istanbul with my mother 
and I I saw your store and your products and I looked at your story. I'm like, is this am I talking to Mostef? And he's like, Yeah, man, I I like I, I know you. I'm like, I mean, this guy is a legend. He's a and legend. I remember like the first time like seeing him or being around him. I think it was just through when I was working for Kanye and most would be around and I was I'm not really like that starstruck or anything, but like being around him, he was like that one of those rappers, like Reflection Eternal when he was really, you know, at the peak of like his career and black on both sides when he dropped that album. Like that's all all I saw when he was in front of me. I was like, whoa, this is so deaf. This is so cool. And like, so he just has that presence and he just kind of holds that weight of history, of music history that is just... I've, that's the that's the era that really you know introduced me to like music in New York and this like vibe that you know. I was a yeah. big Kanye fan. I'm still a yeah. big Kanye fan. I re respect him. Some people judge him, but I love him how he is. And uh, but we'll get to him on a later stage. But I would love to like know, <laughs> like how did you get your job at Nike, and um, what made you leave it? So. Uh, my job at Nike. Uh, all right. So I, uh, I had already developed some relationships with some people at Nike when I was in college. Um, my friend, Aaron Bondaroff, Aaron from a New York thing, he introduced me to a guy named Julian Kahn in the, in the bar in the LES of New York one night. I had just moved to New York and I was just, uh, I was in that party scene, that downtown party scene. And Julian was there. And he was working for Nike France. So he was based in Paris. And I was just about to move to Paris from New York to go to school, to go to Parsons, Paris. And since Aaron knew that about me, and he knew Julian as well, he was like, introduced us. He was like, yo, you guys should meet. Like, Aaron's about to move to Paris. And so I was just so young and curious. So when I got to Paris, I just developed this relationship with Julian. And I would always go to like his office after school just to kind of hang out. And like try to get some free shoes or just hang out. You know what I mean? Just like be that be that kid that just always wants to hang out with like, you know, people who are like, you know, older than you or like, you know, like has has the job that you want and you want to learn from them. So I would always go there. And we just became really good friends, really close friends. And his friends became my friends. And we just started partying together and just we just developed a really nice friendship together. So I then I moved back. Like natural, right? Yeah, it was just Everything. natural. So then I moved back to New York and I, then I graduate college and I get my first job at this like advertising creative agency, strategic creative agency. Uh, and I worked there for a bit. And then that, that big recession hits that we're all kind of referencing because of the pandemic. Like before this, there was that like, I've been yeah. calling this like, you know, the great separation before it was like the great recession. So I got fired. I was a part of like everyone getting fired in the world um like nike had just fired like 20,000 people or something my company was that. my company was smaller they had just fired like 20 people i was one of them and well, i think it's part of who you are you know everyone went yeah. through this right yeah yeah I went, we all went through it we went through it and then i was like as soon as i got fired i was like i got the butterflies in my stomach i wasn't expecting to get to get fired how am i going to pay my rent the money's going to cut off. Holy shit. I start freaking out going to like survival mode, survival mode. Where can I get a job? Where can I get a job? Julian bing, clicked in my head. I was like, I want to work for Nike now. So I hit up Julian. I was like, dude, I just lost my job. Are you guys hiring? 
And he replies, bro, we just laid off and fired like 20,000 people, like wait a couple months. So I wait a couple months and I start interviewing. And that's how I, that, that's how I finally got the job at Nike. I was a part of like the new rehire, the reorg of, of coming out of that recession. Um, and I worked there, I worked there for five years. You know, we all watched, I'm sure, the Jordan documentary. And we saw how Michael stopped basketball after he lost his father, went to baseball and then came back. And I feel that of Michael's kind of motivation, it's in some people and it's not in some people. I feel like you have that fighter personality when, you, when you're in a difficult situation. You're like, I'm not going to wait for it. I'm going to go get uh, something even better. You know, I feel yeah. like that's the mindset we should all be on. Yeah. Just having that confidence that you can survive and the confidence that, you know, you can figure it out. You have, we all have the resources. We're all smart enough to kind of figure this out. Um, or, you know, I don't know, maybe we're not, maybe we're just born with this, but, you know, I was lucky enough to kind of have this quality within me that, you know, I was calm and I, I didn't freak out. I figured it out and I went through the process of interviewing and I got, and I got the job, but like, you know, a lot of people freak out in those moments. They might move away, you know, they might go back home and try to start to try to save some money and then move back to New York. Like I was down to like struggle a little bit. I was down to figure it out. I was down to just like live off of little money every day just so I could live this dream in like New York city and, you know, and, 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 and get back on my feet. And luckily, like, you know, I was, I was able to interview at Nike and, and I impressed everyone there and they, you know, they, they had hired me, you know, they asked me like, what's the most creative thing you've ever done in your life? And <laughs> I was like, well, you guys just sponsored one of my books, which they did. You know, I had just published this book that they actually sponsored. What, so that job I got fired from while I was I there. I don't know about I, this book. So, so that first job I had in college, at the same time, I had a blog called hairandpreston.com. And that blog was documenting my life as a college student in New York City. So I was taking a lot of photos and I was writing blog posts about school and my homework and shit I was learning about and talks I was going to and people I was listening to and parties I would go to. And I was just, I was shooting a lot of photos and videos on this like little point and shoot camera. Which it was like a, was it? I think it was like a Canon. It was like a Canon power shot. Nice. Yeah. And, um, and I was documenting my life, the lifestyle, a reader actually in Miami loved the content so much. He had a printing company in Miami. He wanted to start printing books and he asked me if I wanted to kind of turn my blog and all the content into a book. And I was like, fuck yeah, that sounds so cool. Like who am I to get a book? I was like probably like 22. Uh, But you see, you can make a 22-year-old so happy by just doing that, you know? Yeah, I was probably like 22. I was really young. Um, and, uh, and so, yeah, he gave me this book deal. And I, I make the, I, the concept of the book was to create a book, a yearbook for New York City. Do you, do you guys do yearbooks in high school? Yeah, back? of course. Okay, so, yep. we did, so we did a yearbook for New York. I did a yearbook for New York City. I shot it all on Polaroid photography. Because Polaroid at the time was going out of business, so I was like, I want to buy all the Polaroid film that's left and shoot all shoot a, shoot every single person on that film. So I published this book. It was called The Young and the Banging, and it was just kind of this documentation of 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 young people in New York City as a as a student body. 
And I had always just had this joke that living in New York just felt like high school all over again. It just feels so young here. And everyone, even though we're like adults, everyone just acts like kids all the time. So I was like, we got to have a yearbook for the city. I published this yearbook. Once I'm done printing it, I take it to Nike and I'm like, yo, I just made this book. I don't know what we can do together, but you should know that I've got this book coming out soon. And I just left the meeting like that. They called me back and they're like, we love the book. We love the concept. Are you comfortable curating this launch all by yourself? We have a space. We love to give you a space in Nolid in downtown New York where you can launch your book. They supported it. They gave me a budget. I I built it out. And so that's the project I did. I had that I had that project in my bag. So that, that is that your first project ever? Like, that was like with that a, was with a brand. That was that that well, I had already been screen printing t-shirts and I had already that that was like the launch of Hair and Preston, like the brand with the t-shirts. So that's why I already had like the website. That's so this story. is so this is back. So the, when I was screen printing t-shirts in, in high school, that was called Hair and Preston. That was actually the very first Hair and Preston t-shirts. The very first Hair and Preston t-shirts I ever designed was a Tupac shirt where I hand drew, I redrew his tattoos. So the thug life on his stomach and the Nefer, the, the Nefertiti, like uh, I need one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, I don't, I don't even think I even have any. I think my cousin might have. Some. I've lost them all. I don't know where they are. Cousin. Yeah, my cousin might have some. I think my, I think Nick actually still has some. I might have a couple in storage. I can't remember. But dude, this is over twenty years ago. This is like, this is like two thousand one. You know what I mean? Like, this is like a while ago. So that was the very first time I had launched hair and pressing t-shirts. With the label it was all my logo was in cursive. It was like a really beautiful script logo. And I wanted to. You should I bring them to, back. I know, right? I was thinking about yeah. that. I think I might yeah. still have the file somewhere, but <laughs> I, I had the line sheets at least. I still have the line sheets and everything. But that that was that was the very first time I had like made shirts and sold them. I had accounts in Japan. I had I was sold I was sold at Fred Siegel. I was sold uh, on H Street. I was working in retail. I was a retail kid. I was selling sneakers and working retail. So my boss had a line. And he was selling T-shirts already. So he was like, oh, this is how you do it. This is how you make a line sheet. This is how you invoice people. You know, this is like a PO. You know, this is a, this is, this is a buyer. You know what I mean? Like introducing, like this is the very first I was learning about this stuff. And I was living in my bedroom. I had like Gateway. Do you remember Gateway computers? No, I never had one. <laughs> what is I, that? I don't know. It may have been like a, it was like a PC at the time. It was a PC. But it was like this big, it was like the Apple of the time. It was like this big PC. <laughs> but like I was like writing my invoices on gateway computers. This is when I first, first learned about the business and like margins and like running this business out of my bedroom. When I first started, I designed literally 30 t-shirts. I was 21. I went to Bread and Butter, this yeah. trade show. Oh, yeah, I, I know it. Bags. You know, I packed my bags. I put it on the hangers. Yeah. And I'm like, cool, man. You know, I designed the stuff. It's a bit like the Grand Bazaar. You know, my <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I laid them all on top, and then this buyer came, and he's like, "Okay, kid. So tell me, what's the markup? Uh, just send me a line sheet." I'm, I'm like staring at him. I'm like, huh? "What do you mean line sheet markup?" What? He's like, "You know what? I'm gonna come back at night. You call your friends and fix it up. And you know who who this guy is? He's a New Yorker. I'm sure you know him or you know of him. It's Sam Ben Avrams." Who say it again? Sam Ben Avrams. He found he's he's a partner of Kith. He's uh, Ronnie's uncle. Oh yeah, I met him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's more like a behind the scenes. Yeah. 
Yeah, he's behind the scenes. Yeah, he's very I know behind him. the scenes. Yeah. He founded a, a project, right, inside Magic. I'm not sure. Yeah, I and he owned the store Atrium back then. Oh, yeah, I know Atrium. I used to shop there all the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah so yeah, that's, he yeah. is my first client. Oh, sick. Atrium, fuck. That location on Broadway and like Bleecker. That's that was the store. Like all the they had all the denim. They had like every like you want to get denim, like go. That there. was the store, right? Yeah. It was yeah. the store. That was the store. And they were right across the street from Namde Gear. Did you ever go downstairs there to shop downstairs at Namde? No, it was never. like this uh it was like another really cool store um in New York at that time. It's no longer around anymore. But yeah, I dude, feel like, like, like Colette too, man. Like like stores like Atrium, Colette. These yeah. are we're all kids of them, you know. I mean Yeah, we're kids. We're yeah, that's those are the stores that really raised us and like introduced us to you know the culture the product the storytelling nah those were the days those were the days there's two people you worked with uh, at times one of them being virgil and kanye and kanye was already kanye and virgil wasn't a household name yet um tell us a bit like how was it to work with them and uh, what did you learn from it um <clears throat> Dude, it was it was probably uh, some of the most liberating work I've ever um, experienced or been a part of. Liberating, in a, in meaning like, dude, there was just so much freedom to think and be creative and explore. You know, like you don't really get that luxury at many places of work. Of you know what I mean? Just like that, like. I've worked at so many like corporations. It's so rigid and like people are so by the books and like afraid to take risks. Kanye was just like, dude, let's do it. Let's try it. Let's, you go, know, let's, let's go. Let's go all in. Let's try it. You know, there's no, there was never any, there's no even room to say no really about anything. It was always like, how do we make this happen? Like, how do we, how do we make this happen? So, you know, that was really inspiring to kind of work with someone that just had such a strong vision and just never really wanted to ever give up and, and just trying so many things and so visual, you know, so I, I'm, you know, I, I kind of, I'm learning, you know, how to work. I learned how to work in those ways as well. Like a design process working with Virgil was also, I think, you know, we met on it, we met on the internet um, and we had just kind of, met through culture you know music art i think he had a blog i had a blog we were probably discussing sneakers on probably the same message boards or something and we started emailing and you know i interviewed him he interviewed me at the time for our for our websites and we had just kind of you know run into each other one night randomly in new york he had come to new york he was living in chicago at the time and i was working in a restaurant he came to eat at that restaurant <laughs> and I, he walks in front of me and i'm like whoa like virgil i know you you. like you're my (laughs) internet you're my internet buddy like i didn't know you were coming to new york so it was this whole kind of like moment of of like surprise and so ever since then you know we we started ben trill together and you know he invited me to you know he invited me to the world of yay and i started working on donda but it was always this like virgil was always like he didn't really like say too much he was always more listening than talking and and I was like, what is it with this dude? Like, why does he work for Kanye? Like, he doesn't really talk that much. He doesn't really talk at all, really, in Kanye meetings. It's always yay, talking, and Virgil's always listening. And I started to learn, like, that's Virgil was always that dude who who like did more listening than talking and trying to learn that he was out, he was always able to kind of take Kanye's ideas and kind of package them and kind of like repeat them to people in ways that Ye wasn't really able to and really kind of like help 
kind of take Ye's dreams and and really kind of like package them and, and make them happen and materialize them. Um, so yeah, it was always so like, it was, it was almost like going to school again. You know what I mean? Like, I felt like I was like learning so much through a, through a design process that wasn't a typical process. Um, and, and, you know, it was almost like, you know, we're just kind of, you know, we're not, not like, like just kind of getting through and making it happen through the ways that we've kind of, we've we designed our own world to work within you know what i mean like yeah. we had our own rules that we followed or did not follow and that's you know that's how we made things happen like i don't think like you know there was there was it was just yay and virgil like on photoshop like i remember they always told me like that we photoshop every single idea like from the stage design to the you know everything was just always photoshopped like images and visuals and moving things around and like that's how we still design to this day it's like placing of images and almost like collaging things together and you know just really kind of like abstract kind of like you know um like things weren't so perfect on photoshop but then it's just kind of getting that shape or that visual but you down see and the then, tunnel the end of the tunnel see, yeah right? for sure and then you then you pass that on to like the real designers you know then you pass that on to like the real technical designers who can take that that loose that loose photoshop and then like make it all happen and so that's kind of like the very beginning of every idea was always these like it was very visual it was very little words and it was always like photoshops or really like physically making models i remember i lived in yay's house in the hollywood hills for a bit because he was just launching yeezy uh, and calabasas and there was you know <clears throat> he was like, dude, I'm not going to pay for a hotel for you right now. Like, just stay in my house. You know, I live in, I have this house. <laughs> I have this house in the Hollywood Hills that no one lives in anymore. Just, so I'm like, <laughs> I'm like sleeping in Ye's old bedroom and like taking showers in his like, his master bathroom where he used to take showers. It was so trippy. So you, it was did like, you get creative in there? Yeah. I mean, it's like, we, we turned that into the studio. Like that was the very first, like, Yeezy studio so it was me Virgil Justin Nate Brown like we're all up in the living room we have a rack of military in the corner and we're buying all this military every day and we're like you know sourcing all this vintage and that that was the studio and so like that was the very first kind of like office that we were working out of in LA before we moved to Calabasas yeah how was it to work with uh Matthew and Justin and all of the boys how was it, it to work dope. with them it was so dope when we were doing Ben Trill together we already had our like day jobs at the time, right? I was working at Nike. Uh, Virgil was working with Kanye. Uh, Matt was, I think, working with like Nick Knight. Um, and then Justin was doing his own brand, Jound. Um, and also consulting with Kanye. And, and um, I think Matt was working with Kanye as well. So we already had our jobs. And so Ben Trill working with those guys was just like taking all of like the information that we were learning and absorbing from culture, from our day jobs to just stuff we love. And Ben Trill was just a special kind of like platform to just like really have so much fun. Like every project was just so beautiful. And I remember like the first time I heard about you was that project. And uh, what I want to um, ask you too is... Ben Trill? Yeah, I've been thrilled. Uh, okay. Uh, since I, when that first came out, uh, I'm also a bit of a digital geek. I also yeah. love to research and online and connecting with people that have like a high intellect and fashion and they're trying to like take risks to change things. Yeah. And I guess you guys uh, were 
a big uh, movement for that in in the US. Yeah, and it was all I, about breaking rules. Yeah, it's yeah exactly, and not caring to break them. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And like, um, were there some difficulties partnering, being partners with other creatives? Is there something that you learned, or I don't know? Yeah, I mean, um, or maybe also like, positive things. Yeah, you know, every boy band kind of breaks up at some point. Um, yeah. And <laughs> everyone has their own reasons. You know, our reasons is that, you know, I think we kind of just outgrew it. And we want to kind of pursue other things. You know, Matt started having babies. And, you know, Virgil is now starting to launch Off-White and Pyrex and all these things. And, you know, we just, we just you know, naturally kind of just like evolved and grew grew out of that. And And, you know, I learned a lot about business um you know from valuations i never knew anything about we were trying to sell bentrill at the time and i never knew anything about valuations like dude, it's going a total another world it's a whole another world and like going to these meetings i feel like matt williams was the only one who could on, really call your speak. people in san fran you have those people in san fran they know day by day they talk about this in breakfast and lunch Dude, I was just like, "Where? Like, what's going on, man?" I just wanted to like throw some parties with my boys, and now we've built this thing that is worth millions of dollars, and like people want to buy it and all this stuff. And like, what? What's what? Like, what? Like, it was kind of scary. It was kind of like, who can you trust? And like, what are they going to do with your brand if you sell it to them? And like, so we were really always reluctant with like, you know, what to do. And so, you and know, how? it was just. And yeah, and how, and yeah, it was, uh, it was all like a big learning. It was all a big learning for us, but yeah, no, it was, it was fun. It was good. Like it, it, uh, it was so weird because like, we weren't really like full on DJs either. Um, but all of a sudden we're like DJing Coachella. Like we had a huge stage in Coachella. All of a sudden we're DJing ultra music festival in front of like, you know, tens of thousands of kids. Ultra is the, the top place in the world. Yeah. I don't know how we got that gig. I mean, I do, but I don't at the same time. <laughs> you know, I do, but I don't. Like, it was just so interesting of a really, it was a really special moment because I think people really um, kind of appreciated and maybe it was really satisfying to see kids just really just do whatever they want to do. I get, and, It's and, a movement yeah. and everyone wants yeah. to be part of it and support yeah. it because yeah. everyone yeah. is open for change. Right. But there's we no one doing what daring. Was doing. Yeah. 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 It was daring. It was daring. You know, we were, we were very kind of daring and with our approach, you know, our, our website had no links, you know, I mean, it, it had no text links. Everything was an emoji, you know, so you really, it was kind of confusing if like you were so used to like navigating a website with like text links, like shop here or purchase here or like, con like there was none of that. Like we really want to like just have emojis as like links and so people could explore. So everything was a little different. But I feel like, you know, like I also look up a lot to Hiroshi Fujiwara, uh, Jun and uh, Nigo, like what they have done with Farrell and all of that. It, they changed Japan. Yeah. And you're actually changing US, you know, yeah. you're changing yeah. the mindset. And all of these movements are global because everyone is in the Internet. We're all connected. Right. And I feel right. like um, that's a really important thing. Tell us about uh, how you decided about launching your own brand, Heron Preston. Let's get into the spicy part. So I, so living in New York, I'd always done these like little, little projects, little side hustles or side kind of projects, right? So when I moved from San Francisco to New York, I was doing t-shirts in San Francisco. When I moved to New York, I stopped making t-shirts because I just didn't really have the setup out here. Like I was making literally by hand. And so when I left, I was like, oh no, I don't have touch of my product. 
I'm not even going to make them anymore because I don't really trust other people to like make like hand screen print my shirt. So I'm going to start blogging. I'm going to start taking photos. I'm going to start making videos. Then I started missing t-shirts. So I was like, all right, I got to get back to it. I got to get back to it. I want to make a t-shirt. I want to make like a bootleg. So then I started making these bootlegs. I made like this Givenchy bootleg. And then I made this NASCAR bootleg. And then I did this like Nike Gucci bathing ape bootleg. And then I was like, all right, what's my next project going to be? Like, how am I going to one-up everything else that I did and make it super unpredictable and unexpected? And it's got to be special. So long story short, I ended up doing a collaboration with the New York City Department of Sanitation. And that project was, um, you know, all about upcycling. It was all about promoting zero waste in fashion. Which year was this? This is 2016. Back then, not a lot of people were interested in the subject. Yeah, no, it was kind of, it was, it was, I don't even, you know, I was more, I was more interested in, in kind of in having bootleg? a solution in bootlegs, but also just having a solution for like the environment. And I just kind of wanted to update old uniforms. I didn't know that was called upcycling. I had no idea. <laughs> so you, you realized know, after yeah, like, to your point, like to your point, like no one really knew. Like I didn't even know what I was doing. You know what I mean? I was just taking old uniforms and screen printing over the additional graphics and like cutting up. You know, I was kind of like cutting up these um, bags or no, cutting up those um, uh, high vis vests, like the neon yeah. vests. I was cutting those up and I I was turning those into like oversized tote bags. But I didn't really know that what I was doing. I thought I, I thought what I was doing was called like recycling of materials, which kind of is like recycling, but through that, I learned it was called upside. It was like upcycling of materials, adding adding additional value to something that may feel valueless. And so, I yeah, I feel like we're trying to give a higher meaning to words. Yeah, but yeah. actually, when you when you look at it in a humanistic way, it's actually yeah. very simple. You reuse stuff. You exactly. know, it's like yeah. we don't need to complicate it. We don't know? need to complicate it. I'm just reusing stuff. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm yeah. preventing, preventing all this stuff from going to landfills. So I did this project. It was, it was really, really successful, and it was, uh, it was kind of groundbreaking for the city. It was groundbreaking for the industry. Uh, it was groundbreaking for streetwear, for the culture, for youth. So Anna Wintour ends up covering it. She gives me this huge spread in Vogue, which was unheard of for the sanitation. Yeah, she's the fashion queen. The fashion king like uh, co-signed my project and validated it. She even, you know, I, I hate the term, but everyone calls them garbage men, but they're really called sanitation workers. Like that's the more respectful, I guess, way of to course. refer to people who collect who collect our trash. They're they're you know they're sanitation they're workers. Heroes. They're heroes. So like she she saw that she was like, I want to put these heroes in my magazine for the first time. But before that, before what that. Sanitation workers were literally never covered in Vogue on the pages of Vogue. So I finally, with my project, was the first guy to finally put these guys as heroes in the magazine. But also, um, how I start, how I went into launching the brand, my partners who I have today, who are also Virgil's partners, they came to my launch event. I'm not even sure how they ended up there. Maybe they came with Virgil because um, he came. You didn't but ask him. They, <laughs> They came. And so, you know, they witness, you know, they witness the energy, you know, the heat. And, and so, you know, fast forward to like, all right, what am I going to do after this, after this project, they offered to kind of turn that 
that project into a collection. So that became collection one, season one for Heron Preston. So that was 2016 in like a, in like September Fashion Week. 2017, Paris Fashion Week, uh, January, that showroom I had was the first collection to come out of that sanitation department collection. But how did yeah. you pick your team, Heron? Um, it was, did you it have was really mates at the beginning or was it a bit on the later stage? It was, it was, um, you know, it's it always, it was always kind of me, but then when I went to join new guards group and my partnership with those guys, they kind of had a lot of stuff built in place for me because they're based in Italy and Milan. So like they had like, you know, a woman who worked on fabrics, you know, they had already a team of like, you know, architects who design our stores and who could help design um, our retail installations. You know, they already had a whole entire sales team that um, were going to be in charge of like all of like the commercial business. They had already kind of like, you know, everything kind of already in place. And it was kind of up to me to kind of figure out more of like the design, you know, like the design support. So it was really me on the design support. And then I would kind of like, have friends or like interns to to kind of support you know my work but the design team itself is kind of small i have like a production person and a graphic designer and someone who works on trims um and then you know i also have a designer that works with me as well and then my girlfriend sabrina she helps with the, the women's business from you know that's, consulting that's on the design we have oh really Lamia, like Lamia yeah. helps with the benji the benjamin woman Oh, so we have yeah, something I mean, like, similar. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we need my, the girls you know, in it too. Yeah. We need the girls and our, and our, and our girlfriends are so cool and they're so fresh and like, yeah. you know, why not, why not tap them? Um, That's so also like another I, thing, like I want to ask, there's not a lot of women in our area. That is true. Like there's not enough women in here in this industry, you know, making noise. I would love, I would love for like, you know, to see like a girl come out and just like crush yeah. it, you know? Like, yeah. Blow us, blow us out with like a dope sneak. Oh, well, no, let me take that back. Uh, Cynthia, actually, but she's so invisible. Like she don't show her face from Cactus Plant Flea Market. Yeah, she's 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 a girl. She's like a really awesome girl who lives near me, actually. And um and but she she's more she's she's like kind of like that like designer that doesn't like to really show her face so much, yeah. but like. Funny enough, I just I just remember like, wait a minute, she actually does have fire products, you know what I mean? And it's a female who's running that. So like, but she's just one, you know what I mean? There's there's got to be we we need yeah. more. We need more in the we mix. need more, and we all need to support that. I think I think it just enriches everything. Yeah, it does. No, I agree. And how, how, was it difficult at the beginning before you partnered up with the same company as Virgil to finance your brand? Like, how, how was that? Especially like for kids, because so many kids ask this question, you know, they want to start their own labels. So for me, like I wasn't, I, I was only dropping like one design, you know what I mean? Like I was only doing like one, one style turtleneck and I would make like, I would print yeah. like a hundred of those, you know, or, or 60 of those. And that, that was it. I would sell those, make my money and then make more stuff. And that more stuff would be like, just another turtleneck, just like one style. I really wasn't, you know, I, I would have loved to have maybe launched all of this huge collection on my own, but like, I just, I may have been a little bit more hip to like, to like the process and how yeah. much room, 
how much room there was to make mistakes and how much room there was for errors. And I was like, I'm going to find some partners at some point. And until then, I'm going to buy already pre-existing blanks. I'm not going to do any, I, you know, I didn't do any really any cut. And so I was just buying like, you know, like, I don't know, American apparel at the time, you know, at the time I was doing American apparel blanks. Fruit of the loom. I love that. Fruit of the loom. Fruit of the loom. Yeah. Fruit of the loom. Like that's yeah. another like blanks business, like fruit of the loom and like Hanes, BFTs, like Gildan, Hanes, also, right? Gildan, Gildan and Hanes became a thing. And so I was just doing those and I was just doing little, like little drops that I could manage on my own and also pack and ship from my apartment on my own, go to the post office, drop that stuff. And like, that was the kind of like the little machine that I had created. And that was all I needed to make. Like the noise, the noise I was making with that stuff was bigger than the quantity or the money I was making. Because you know, it's so that real. No, because it's, it's real. you touching it. Yeah. And playing yeah. with it and like and coming yeah. up, making mistakes, right? Mm -hmm. And I yeah. feel like kids nowadays, they're super spoiled. They immediately want like, I want an ATP's collection. Yeah. I want Paris Fashion Week. Guys, you don't need to do this. I want to be sold in Take Dover Street easy. Market. And like, you no, know, they want all this. They want all this. They want all this success without having to work for it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I had to learn. I had to work for it. I had to be strategic with how I use my money and how I spent my money. I had to, you know, I had to manage all of this stuff and learn, learn as I went. But again, like the stories and like the pre the brand presence was way stronger, way bigger than like the business that I had. And that's what, that's what everyone has noticed this, my whole entire kind of like career to have gotten me to where I am today. Like people just see how special the ideas are. And those ideas, you don't need to make a lot of product to get your idea out there. You know what I mean? And so if you're kind of strategic with like, you know, what, what are your goals? What are your objective? Is it really to kind of make, you know, make a message? Are you trying to message something or are you trying to make a lot of money? Like I wasn't really ever trying to make a lot of money. It was never really about money for me ever. I was just so passionate about these ideas. And I really wanted people to see my ideas and experience my ideas. And I just, I just want to get my ideas out of my head. Where those ideas and where those ideas took me next, I didn't really have a plan. You know, like it was just people kind of recognizing the stuff that I was doing and kind of giving me opportunities. Yeah. And that's kind of how it worked. What kind of disciplines uh, did you go through? Um, I mean, you know, staying focused and like, you know, being, you know, responsible, waking up on time and like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it gets a, to a point where it's just like really serious and like passionate about you really want to like stay on top of like your grind and like net, not let anything kind of slip by because it's all kind of like on you to keep it going. And like, you know, you feel this kind of like pressure and this responsibility to be better. Um, and so And to, you know, uh, always, always kind of challenge yourself, you know, and always, you know, look towards the future to kind of what you can do next that really kind of shake up culture and like, you know, somehow push the boundaries of, of possibilities. I've always been fascinated with that. I've always been fascinated with like introducing something new to the world. And I think it just comes from like maybe my schooling or working at Nike and those both those places were so heavy on like innovation, like Nike, I remember, um, I remember my, uh, one of my bosses was like, we are not a sports company. We are an innovation company. And then I remember going to, you know, all these talks at Parsons, listening to guys, guys with titles like, um, futurist, you know what I mean? So there was always yeah. this kind of like, there was always this like kind of fascination with like innovation. 
Um, and, and, and I think that's kind of, you know, why, you know, I, I did the, you know, the bootleg Givenchy on a, on a white shirt or that goes to like NASCAR and making up stories that I, that I found those shirts when I actually printed them. And that goes into like the three-way, you know, collab Nike, Gucci, Bathing Ape, Street Sweeper, Air Force One. And that takes me into like NASA and DSNY and all of these kind of really kind of special, special spaces um, that I really love to like operate in, which are kind of this space without any rules or, you know, it's just fun. I just, it's just, at the end of the day, I'm just trying to have fun and keep people interested. <laughs> yeah, but I feel like, you know, Aaron, you have a path. And I think you're destined to your path as well. You moving from San Fran to New York is to free your mind, is to free your yeah. soul. And then the collection, the bootleg, working for who you worked with. I feel like constantly you're like, you're kind of dream big guy since yeah. day one. Because yeah. a kid doesn't normally want to leave his fam their family and move oh. out to a big city, you know? Right. So I think it's who you are. And uh, Can you tell us a bit like about your creative process? Like how does a collection come together now? Um, now it's really, you know, it kind of comes from, it always starts with kind of like a conversation with my team, um, with my friends, kind of the state of culture or things I've been feeling or not feeling or a dream I had or, you know, music, you know, a video or whatever. It's just like, it kind of, the inspiration kind of comes from, Before the structure, before I really start to introduce the structure, because there is some structure in my process, I kind of start off with this structureless space, and I use that space to really freely explore and kind of land on concepts. So there's kind of this kind of like concepting phase that might last for like a couple of weeks or a month, and it's really like visually driven, conversation driven kind of landing on these concepts, building with my team, challenging my team. Obviously, sustainability is always at the heart of everything that I'm thinking about and the environment and impact and like new materials and new processes, new technologies. All these are part of the conversation. And then we kind of land on these themes and these ideas. And then we kind of move into like sketching, you know, um, you know, photoshopping ideas, sketching ideas, kind of catching shapes, vibes. Then we move into like a style out styling, just using kind of existing archives or, uh, references, samples that I might pull. We start kind of capturing visual journey, a visual pathway to the final collection through the style outs. So we have a ton of pictures of just like different shapes, fits, styling, styling codes, Um, and then it gets into, then, you know, continue the sketching and then landing on, you know, th those ideas. And then we move into like the sampling and the prototyping. Um, and then at that point, like the designs, you know, everything's kind of done. You just start now fitting on, on bodies, you know, start getting your first samples back. Um, and you know, we have, I always build out this timeline, a calendar, and I kind of try to stay as close the to that, the like famous <laughs> calendar, the famous work packs. The famous work back schedule and like, you know, I have a merch team that kind of builds out a, um, kind of like this map of like styles and skews and we start filling in the blanks, you know, so like for this it's season, a team play. yeah, it's, it's a team play for this, you know, this season we want to do like, you know, 10, 10 outerwear jackets and like 30 t-shirts and like we want to have this denim program and we have a footwear program and like we put a big wall up 
we put a big like poster on my wall in my office and it's all blank and we kind of just start filling it in over time when start over time you start to see it come to life from like the color palette you start to see if you have too much of one color or if it's too heavy on one side or you know graphics if you're doing too many of a graphic here or there and so you start to visually kind of see it all come together over time and then the fun is the fun part is when all the prototypes everything all the trims and the you know the um, the uh, accessories and all the things you've been it's very satisfying been, isn't it yeah when it jumps from like a photoshop into like your hand when it like jumps out of the screen like that's that's some of the coolest shit i love to i love to experience is seeing those very first samples come in yeah it's like uh, christmas gifts you know <laughs> it arrives to the office and then you unbox yeah. it and that moment. you unbox But, it yeah <laughs> so how how many ideas do you uh, scrap away um, is it a lot or that clean you know, up I, don't, i don't know i don't know it's not it's not it's it's again kind of using that it's kind of using this this merchandising plan as like my guide and that kind of tells me how many ideas i need to kind of come up with based on like the selling the sales campaign and like you know the campaign of what we want to sell and then it gets into like the business you know how much money you know our our we're projecting with this so there's that's kind of it gets it gets really kind of businessy on like how on what what ideas to narrow down and, yeah. and how many how many ideas i need to have but it's part um, of it yeah right. it is it's it's you know because at the end of the day like this is this is a business as well so you need to like you need to like you know keep the lights on you got to pay the bills and you got to have this kind of like commercial you got to have like the commercial success of the business you know what i mean and so you know yeah, you i was i didn't, like I didn't know that i didn't know that you know I, didn't, i had no idea about that you know i had no idea about any of that because i was i was so direct to my consumer i was selling off of instagram directly to like the fans that were following me but then when i joined new guards group All of a sudden, I had like you know all these doors around the world and buyers' requests and like customers that I wasn't really you know used to, and so I had to learn a lot about the business, about consumers from ads and and the global you know the global landscape of fashion. You know, I was kind of really in my own bubble in New York City and on Instagram, and but once I joined New Guards Group, I really started to learn about the fashion business as a whole. And have you ever come up to like a? any creative blocks in your career dude all the time i mean like i think that comes with yeah. the territory i think that comes <laughs> with the territory <laughs> i think that just comes with the territory is like you how know how do you get out um it's how do you get out of it though i don't think i really have like a special kind of formula but i think you definitely need to have like space in your mind and a peace of mind you got to be happy You know, you need to find your happiness. You can't create when you're upset or you're mad. You know what I mean? So like, I feel like if I do get blocked, I like, I might just have to like get off my phone. You know what I mean? I just need, I might have to go take a walk. <laughs> just like absorb, just like try to get this energy to kind of come back somehow. Or like, I'll talk to my friends or my girlfriend or like try to get back on track. Try to have, and so- But and, you and, don't design stuff. You don't push it. You just completely stop, yeah, right? Yeah, I don't, I don't force it. I don't push it. I just kind of have to step back. I have to step back and like give myself space because if you don't give yourself that space, there's no room to really explore, almost reset, reset where you used to be, you know, where you were before in your brain and your space and your ideas. And so, um, and so it also helps with the people around you to help unlock 
unlock some creativity within you. So that so who comes you surround from like, yourself with is so exactly. Important. It's so it's so it's so important who you surround yourself with, and like people who know you. So like they can talk to you about things that you love, and then like literally this happens all the time. I'll have like a conversation with someone, and they'll say like one word, and then it'll unlock. It'll unlock a whole entire world of ideas. Like that's how it happens. So like, but that only happens if you kind of keep some like some things like you're just constantly feeding yourself. I read a lot. I read a lot of articles. I read a lot of like uh, news. I, re I read a lot of Instagram comments. I read a lot of people on the street. You know, I read a lot of like stuff about sustainability. And so there's all this stuff that's in my head, but I just haven't figured out how to put it all together yet. There's all these things I love. There's all these things I don't love. You know, there's, so there's all this stuff that's just in my head. And it just takes one little conversation with somebody to say one thing that just like unlocks it. I'm like, oh, like that's what we that's can it. do. That's it. Actually, you know, that's actually, you know what you want. You know what you're looking yeah. for, but you're looking for yeah. that one word to summarize your thoughts, right? Exactly. Exactly. You're just looking for, and I'm not even sure, I'm not even sure if you really know what you're looking for, but you just, you, you know it when you see it, like, you know it when you hear it. And then that's, that's all it, that's all it takes. So I think what your job is as a creative or as a designer is just constantly just feed yourself information. You know, like information is my crack. My information is my drug. And so I'm so curious. You know, you have to stay curious because your curiosity will 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 always kind of keep you alive somehow. You know, your curiosity because once you stop being curious about stuff, you just you know, you just kind of get a little lazy or you might get a little boring or something or You know, so you always at least have to stay curious and, and informed. And then if you have that shit in your brain, it's okay if you haven't put it together yet. Because, you know, someone will help unlock that in you. And I think that's what's so important about having a really solid group of people around you. you you've been an open advocate for sustainability and accountability in the supply chain. Like, What measures has your label taken to address this? Um, so, I mean, I've, I kind of mapped out this journey that the brand has been on for the past three years. Uh, as I don't have it pulled up on my computer, but I think in my brain, what I can remember is the first was the DSNY stuff. And then from there, I, um, I, uh, did this apprenticeship with Eileen Fisher. So that DSNY stuff was all upcycled, zero waste. We started a foundation together called the foundation for New York strongest, which, um, To this day, I'm still I'm still in uh, in touch with. I still work with. We actually um, donated a bunch of hand sanitizer to a couple departments of sanitation workers because they had run out of supplies. And you know they always have they always have issues about being like on the bottom of the totem pole when it comes to everyone else in the city. That like NYP like the police department or the fire department like you know they get more love than the sanitation workers. So like I sent them a bunch of like like 10 gallons or was it 10 gallons? I don't know how much. It was so much hand sanitizer. Man, when I that, saw that Heron, I was like, yeah. man, Heron did it. Like, <laughs> I'm so, yeah. you know, I'm so happy that I know you and like, I'm like, yeah. this guy gets it. This is exactly, because yeah. when, when this COVID-19 yeah. first hit, I really got depressed Heron. I closed myself. I didn't want to think anything creative. I was thinking about things. 
why do I exist as a designer? Yeah, yeah. I'm creating need too. that no one needs. Yeah, yeah. I was too. I, I, yeah, I was like, what are we doing? Like, wh- all right, like, what are we doing here? Like, there's so many more, many more, there's so many more important things going on. Like, people are dying right now. Like, dude, I couldn't even think about fucking posting a t-shirt all of a sudden. I was like, uh, right? like I gotta, I gotta, we gotta do something, man. We gotta do something. I gotta help out. So like, so yeah, DSNY was like the first project. And then Eileen Fisher, she's one of the most uh, dedicated, ambitious, and, um, uh, you know, and, and dedicated and ambitious in the space of sustainability. She's been doing this shit for 30 years. So I could kind of consider her brand and Patagonia as like the best in class or like the, the reference pioneers. standard, the pioneers of like sustainability. So I went to learn from her um, in upstate New York and I worked out of there for a week and I learned about her take back program and her tiny factory after I learned, which we, she takes back her clothes from consumers um, and either repairs them if they're ripped, have holes or, you know, weird armpit stains. She'll clean them and she'll put them back on the rack as brand new. She's Robin Hood. <laughs> yeah. And she'll resell those. And if it's too damaged, then she'll try to, she'll try to mend the fabric. And so she basically is, really into like circularity. So after I learned about that, I launched my own program at Heron Preston called HP Redesign, which is my platform to recover and reuse of materials that might otherwise go to a landfill. So that first project was like a camera bag that I made out of a tarp that was printed and hung up in my showroom. So this tarp was like branded and then we took it down and put it in my storage and there was never any intention to ever use this tarp again. So we cut it up and we turned it into bags and we sold it in my store in Hong Kong. And that was the launch of HP Redesign. The second project out of that was um, a project for Essence.com called Jump, which um, was a whole entire collection made out of uh, military-grade parachutes. So like, I launched this HP Redesign uh, platform, and then I went on to like introducing um and eco pure packaging which is this biodegradable packaging that i use to ship my clothes i then went on to launching a project with hewlett packard hp inc which was another packaging project which looked to repl- which looked to introduce an alternative to plastic in fashion because plastic is such a big issue right now so this packaging that we launched with this pilot program um was all made from like wood pulp cellulose. So it's not even any petroleum, any plastic in this packaging. And it can, um, it's home, home compostable certified and also biodegradable. So it's all, it's always kind of been exploring these new concepts with these partners who are kind of like the best at, at, at what I'm interested in. Um, and then, you know, I work with this company called Pentatonic out of London, we invented a new material um, to create the hangers that I use in my stores. So all these hangers are called like infinity hangers and they're made out of waste from like factory offcuts and and old material and plastic bags. And like basically under pressure, high pressure, they like they like make these these like forms, these shapes, which become my hangers. And so it's like looking at all these new technologies. So that's what I've you know, that's what I've been up to um, in, ex- in my kind of like design, like exploration 
is just kind of trying these things. You know what I mean? Like, it's not about like being a hundred percent sustainable overnight. It's about like every season trying to do something better than last season. And I feel like timeless design is also sustainability, right? A jacket that you can always wear. Eileen Fisher is like the best at that. Like, I don't think she designs anything new anymore. Like, like she, like, her take back program like she was taking back like um garments that she had made 30 years ago that like she still makes today like she doesn't really change anything like her collections are like the most timeless like ever and i think that is also it's like the genius bar you just take it back and she fixes it yeah that's genius it is and not a lot of brands are doing that because a lot of brands really haven't embarked on like how to design a system like that so she's she's designed this world and it's, it's a like, circular approach, right? Yeah, it's a, yeah. A circular approach of looking at things. And from what I'm seeing and hearing from you, I feel like a lot of brands have to change their brand DNA. It can't be a marketing game anymore. Organic no. cotton, you know? Yeah, like it's, right. it's, it already sounds like... Uh, so. I know. Yeah. yeah, it's so... I feel like you're a big inspiration because a lot of uh, kids in the uh, streetwear... Uh, world actually don't think that sustainability is cool and you're making it cool yeah yeah that's what i really want to do is inspire the youth and just get them up to speed because this stuff is cool right it's because it's so innovative it's it's the this stuff is so innovative the next drop you're doing i'm ordering it (laughs) thank you but i mean like it's 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 you know i think people have made it so much about like you know the environment, the environment, the environment is almost like our parents are talking to us and like kids just, you know, they're just not, they're not ready to receive those messages. But if you tell them like, this is the most, cause you know, like as a kid, like we love the latest and greatest iPhone. We love the latest and greatest, you know, invention, you know, the newest roller coaster that Do the first really ever, the first ever roller coaster, you know, like we all, yeah. we're always so uh, interested in the newest and the newest. Well, you know what? Like sustainability is also really new. You know what I mean? Like there's people who are designing denim without using any water. You know what I mean? There's people who are making t-shirts out of growing of moss in the forest. Like there's all this crazy, crazy far out concepts that people are experimenting and, uh, with. What I heard, you can like use a lemon uh, skin and orange uh, skin to color. Yeah, so. yeah. Natural dyes. Natural, natural dyes. dyes. Like this is all do- like... This stuff is cool to me. You know what I mean? Like it's yeah. just cool to me because it's so new. It's so like ahead of its time. And it's not what like, you know, it's 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 it represents the future for me. So that's why I'm so interested in sustainability. Okay, Heron. Um, thank you very much and for coming and being part of this. It was great talking to you and really inspiring. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. That was inspiring. And uh, I had a great time sharing those stories. Thanks for listening to our first episode of Homeroom with Benjamin Aydin, where we've been speaking with Heron Preston. Be sure to tune in to our next episode, where we'll be speaking with my friend Yasin Saidi, global head of Puma Select and founder of the agency. For more on our series, go to soul.digital. You can also follow us on Instagram by going to at soldxp and at Aydin. See you next time. You're listening to Soul Radio.